0: All the and go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?
1: Hello, and welcome to Where Am I to Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I to Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I to Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we're in Ely, Nevada and we're with Sean, and we are at a railroad museum. What's the technical name of your museum,
2: Sean? Uh, welcome to the Nevada State Railroad Museum in uh, Ely, Nevada. We're um, the less populated part of that. But uh, we are out here, um, located in East Central Nevada, in the site of the best preserved railroad short line in America. Now we're okay, curious- Okay, now explain short line. Okay, that's a great question. A short line is a railroad that doesn't connect a major city to another major city it connects a a mainline railroad to a something else. In our case, it was a copper mine that we have located eight miles to our west, a massive copper mine that covers about 13 square miles. Holy smokes. Now that's a lot of copper. Um, Is it still working? It is still working. Oh, wow. I'll give you an evidence of how big that that copper mine is. We've been mining that for 115 years. We're still mining it. Wow. That's a massive deposit. One of the biggest deposits in North America.
1: Now, is it as big as the one in Salt
2: Lake uh, there at uh, Kennecott? Yeah, Kennecott. It was the same company that mined here uh, was mining Kennecott in Salt Lake. There was also Kennecott, Nevada, and that was us. So there's a half a dozen ways to say big. Okay. Okay. Um, Salt Lake has one big giant hole in the ground. Uh, We have a 13 square mile area that has five different open pits. Oh, okay. Now, if you combine all of those into one big giant hole, yeah, cert- certainly we would rival uh, Salt Lake or Butte, Montana or okay. Globe or Superior, Arizona. All of those were the major copper producers of the country.
1: And you're still operating it? Today. And we're still
2: mining it today. That's correct. Um, we're one of the places that have pioneered low-grade copper ore mining.
1: Okay. And we so, explain that.
2: Okay. Low-grade copper ore is um, where, where you have... The, the content, the percentage of content of copper in the ground is less or lower okay. uh, than, than it would ordinarily be. So, the highest copper content we ever mined here was roughly about 3%. Okay. And that's pretty rich copper. They're currently mining less than 1%. Oh,
1: wow. And so you're getting a ton of ore and 300 pounds of copper.
2: Um, no, we're, we're taking a hundred pounds of ore and getting less than one pound of copper.
1: Okay.
2: okay. So, so measure however you want. <laughs> if, um, you, if, you, if you take a uh, hundred tons, right. less than a ton will be copper Okay. or a hundred trucks or a hundred, right. you know, however, whatever you want to measure that. Okay. So, so that, that technology exists here to, um, to allow us to continue to mine uh, what has been mined for over a hundred years, and continue to mine that at a profit because technology has improved to the point where uh, your recovery of a lower grade copper is possible here.
1: Okay, now do you get other minerals out of the ore? Yeah, also? there's, or?
2: yeah, there's uh, more than a dozen other metals that are being mined that are being uh, mined at the same time. So obviously, you know, gold, silver, platinum, stuff like that. But also lithium, um, okay, molybdenum. I, um, I had a British visitor who told me, uh, um, I believe you're pronouncing that wrong. Uh, <laughs> kind of um, like aluminium, right? Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> he said I, uh, that's called molybidium.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: For you guys that call it aluminium, <laughs> but um, yeah. So you, anyway, we have moly. Okay. <laughs> um, um, moly is an additive to steel, and. Um, make grease out of it. Now molly's a
1: really big product over in Leadville, Colorado
2: too, I think. Correct. Right. And uh, there's there's a number of places that, that Molly is being produced. Lithium is is one of the minerals that we're looking to um, uh, hopefully find more of. I mean
1: Well yeah, I didn't I wasn't aware that there was much in the way of lithium uh, mining in the US. I thought a lot of that came from overseas. So. Most of that
2: comes from overseas. We wish more of it came from here.
1: Right. So And so you have separate mills for extracting each one of these different uh, minerals from the ore, or that all does at the same mill?
2: Sure, that's a great question, and the answer is: um, Well, let me give you the best answer I can give to that. Uh, I'm a historian, not a mineralogist. Okay, but 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 I will tell you that the guys that make that happen are really are like rocket scientists, guys. Okay, they're really smart. Um, they maximize the amount of production of whatever metal based on whatever uh, value of that metal is on any given day okay okay right now i'll give you this is a gross oversimplification but imagine that um, the price of gold is down but the price of copper is up okay and if gold and silver exist in the same place at the same time um, then you can um, mill that uh, the concentrate that comes out of the other side of that mill uh, and to maximize the the more valuable of the two metals. Now that probably wasn't a very good example because gold's well, always no, going to be more valuable than copper, but say copper and molybdenum. Right. Okay. Whichever one is higher, that's the one that you'll maximize your production for that day.
1: Well, and you also always have ratios there. I mean, gold may not be climbing and maybe staying stagnant, and the profit right. margin might be a lot higher, even though copper's not as valuable. There may be a forty percent increase in copper value. Correct. So, so you, I mean, your comparison is still valid as long as you understand that there's that the rate of increase right might be different it, and the, the value
2: and the value is ratioed exactly the way you mentioned. Right. So right. yeah, as long as you understand that, then um, yeah, we so you're right smack in the middle of America's mining frontier, Eastern Nevada. Wow. We, we mine everything here. Okay, um, and probably except uranium but um, then probably not diamonds, but probably everything else. Right. Wow. That's really
1: interesting. I didn't realize this area was so mineral rich.
2: Well, that's the reason that this railroad was completed here to Ely in 1906. Now this railroad uh, goes 120 miles straight north. And I mentioned it's a short line railroad. So it it doesn't connect, you know, a major town like Salt Lake to Los Angeles. Right. What it connects for us in 120 miles, it connects a mainline railroad to a copper mine. Okay. Okay. And that's what it was built for. Um, you can have all the copper in the world; but if you can't get it out of here. to right. Be any good? Exactly. Well, in 1900, the best way to move vast amounts of copper uh, is to bring it out by rail. Now that requires the building of a railroad, which is pretty intensive, and that's what we focus on here in uh, the State Railroad Museum in Eastern Nevada. Now we're on a larger complex, the Nevada Northern Railway complex. This complex is 52 acres. It's got um, 40 historic buildings and structures. And it's the most intact short line railroad in America.
1: Okay, now when you talk short-line, do you also talk uh, narrow-gauge or was this regular? Uh, narrow-gauge meant that the that the rails were put together closer, correct? That's correct. And I know that a lot of different rail systems were narrow-gauge versus a regular-gauge uh, railroad, and they were also smaller lines and moved everything from passengers to ore or to... Uh, agricultural products or whatever.
2: Timber or whatever. Yeah, so, so we're at Standard Gage. Um, okay. Now, initially, the founder of this railroad, a man by the name of Mark Rigua, becomes interested in Eastern Nevada copper in 1900. Okay. And the reason that he's interested in it is um, almost a perfect storm. Um, America is at the tail end of America's industrial revolution, which could pretty much be termed an electrical revolution. Um, Two inventions will launch America into uh, the America that we recognize today. The light bulb, Thomas Edison, and Alexander Graham Bell's telephone. In the 1870s and the 1880s, those those inventions come about. Now your math problem for the day is how many miles of wire does it take to wire up America? I have no idea. I I don't have any idea either, but it's a big, big thing. number. I don't even know where to start putting the X's (laughs) and Y's on that one. It's it's a big number, right? It's a huge number. Yeah. So copper, now we knew copper existed in in Eastern Nevada in the 1860s. It just wasn't worth mining. It was only worth pennies to the pound.
3: Literally. Literally pennies pennies to the
2: pound. (laughs) Right. And so now we're, so it wasn't worth mining. They were going after silver, gold. And, and we have, uh, you know, silver rushes and we have gold rushes here in Eastern Nevada. Uh, the richest silver ore ever to come out of North America was 40 miles west of where we are right now. Okay. Um, in the 1869 gold rush that was called the Rush to White Pine, uh, silver ore at $27,000 to the ton. Wow. was coming out of the ground. And that was our first county seat. And that was the original uh, impetus of getting people to Eastern Nevada. Now, unfortunately, um, there was a significant amount of, of silver, but it was all on the surface of the ground. Mm-hmm. So it was easy to take, it was easy to get, and it was easy to get rich and get out. And that's what happened. Um, when when the mining was was over, because the silver had paid out, those same miners fanned out across and they, they found other deposits. And they found a gold deposit north of us at Cherry Creek. They found silver. Uh, to our southeast at Ward and then at Taylor. Um, Always just, you know, the copper's there, but so what? Right. Until America needs copper. Now, America needs copper because the electrical revolution, when America, the tail end of America's industrial revolution, you have this electrical revolution, where electric motors are now running street cars and elevators and... Uh, factories and and all of a sudden this new invention of the light bulb now lighting the country, so in a very real way, Eastern Nevada produced the copper that lit the nation wow that 's interesting now we weren 't the only ones, but we were one of them one of the the four biggest in America
1: yeah I had never really thought about the electrical revolution. I mean, you hear about the industrial revolution and you know that coal and some of those things were driving that. But it just hasn't ever really come to my mind about the, the whole copper having to electrify and having the whole electrical revolution at that point in time. That's just a... A new concept to me. This is this is cool. <laughs> so, and and it really was
2: a revolutionary concept. The America that we recognize today comes about because of oh yeah the industrial revolution. Where but would also we be
1: without electricity,
2: exactly. But also because the electricity at the tail end of that was driving that. I mean, steam engines are great, and you can you know you can run a factory on a steam engine, but an electrical engine is an electrical motor. Right. It's far more efficient, far more reliable. It never almost never blows up it doesn't and kill you and a lot cleaner a lot, cleaner. A, lot cleaner. a lot cleaner so you start multiplying that uh, by a country and even beyond a world right and you recognize why eastern nevada copper is now so important and getting it out of here is something that we did and, and still do. Are you still
1: using the rail line for that purpose? Or? No,
2: we're not. Um, so we operated from 1908 until 1983 for 75 years. Okay. The Nevada Northern Railway was the link of the, um, of the copper mine to the mainline railroad. So we would take copper as it naturally exists in the ground. We would take it historically. Um, we would dig it out of the ground. We would transport it. We would process it, uh, crush it, um, concentrate it. Uh, smelt it, and then ship copper out to the rest of the world. Okay. Now, we did an astronomical amount of copper production here. All bad. Um, for 75 years. So then what did. happened?
0: Yes.
2: Well, then the second perfect storm comes about. Okay. And so, in the late 1970s, the early 1980s, a couple things happened that you couldn't see coming, and you certainly couldn't have controlled them. So the first thing is uh, production of copper in developing nations right um asia south america africa they all have copper deposits too well in the 1970s they can make things a lot cheaper than america can make things because first and foremost their labor costs are significantly lower i didn't say government
1: regulation probably has something to do with that that also that
2: comes next (laughs) um but um the uh I, I can give you a statistic. In 1979, uh, Ely, Nevada was paying copper miners um, about $11 an hour with benefits. Well, Chile was paying $8 a day. Right. It's pretty hard to compete with that. Yeah. And then the second problem is exactly what you mentioned. You have uh, Government, the um, Environmental Protection Agencies, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm all for Save the Earth, but you know, let's make sure we save the people that are on the Earth, too. Right. Um, but it was working before. It, well, when, and, and here was the problem. Take the second largest expense in copper mining in America in the 1970s and the early 1980s. Wipe it off your books and go mine in Chile. Or, right. or Africa. Or, yeah, and you don't
1: have all of your safety regulations in these other countries and the mining regulations and the training regulations and the taxing and some of those other things, I'm sure, in other countries are a lot different than what they are in ours. Well, vastly and I'm different. not complaining about this. I'm just stating facts. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, and it's vastly different. And and in those areas, $8 a day was an absolute bonanza for these people who were... If you could get a job at eight dollars a day, heck yeah, take it. And th- and that's a that's a double-edged sword. I mean, that that certainly is improving the lives of those people. And, right. and we went through the same thing in, in America. Um, we had our
1: twenties and thirties union, and unions. So. And
2: and yeah, and that's why unions did very very well in America in, in the latter half of the eighteen hundreds, is because labor can be considered a commodity. And when you do that, then you're devaluing the human aspect of your labor and you're putting more value on the product that you're making and developing nations are unfortunately still in that, in that phase right. um, where you're trying to, you're trying to maximize the amount of money that you can get and labor is, you know, a, a worker is just like a truck. Right, and when it breaks or is gone, or you just go get another one.
1: What do they call us? Human resources. <laughs> <laughs> Human resources. Good. good, good.
2: Um, yeah. So, so here, uh, at least in the United States, in in, in when uh, when we're preparing to, when we're booming, we're mining like crazy. Um, all of a sudden, Chile and Ghana and. Malaysia, they all open up copper mines too, and they make mines, they can mine copper cheaper than we can. Now, we we probably could have survived that. um, Because we were using better technology, we were using bigger trucks, we were using more efficient equipment. Um, The one that was harder to survive was America enters in the 1970s, and let's be earth friendly and ecologically minded and, and all of that stuff, which is all good stuff. But... They, um, the the recycling effort in America is is difficult if you're a mining portion of America. Now, let me explain that. Okay. So, um, and we'll give you an example. I'll give you a historical example. Okay. Let's take AT and T telephone company. Now, before we all had cell phones, we all had landlines. Right. Right. Uh, AT and T was the telecommunications was the second largest use of copper wire in America. The largest use is um, electrical des- distribution. Okay. So here's a math problem: How many miles of telephone wires it take to put a telephone in every house, business, school, public building in America? Probably and
1: about the same amount as what it takes to electrify. It, it's, it's, it's it's a lot.
2: It's a um, but the wire's not as big. But it's still a lot. It's the second highest use of copper in America. So AT&T in the 1970s uh, decides we're going to replace all of our fi- all of our um, copper telephone line
1: uh-huh. with
2: fiber optic. Okay. Now fiber optic is a fiberglass strand and it's more efficient and it's a benefit of technology that some genius somewhere invents that says this is better for the telecommunication industry. It's like 10,000 times faster. Right. So we want faster, we want better. So at and largest telephone company um, in the country says, well, let's take down all of those copper wires and replace it with fiber optic. Now imagine that's, I mean, that, that's a step forward in right. terms of telecommunication progression, but it's also a double whammy. If you're a place that produces copper, right. um, you are now increasing the supply of copper and decreasing the demand at the same time. Right, right. Now, if you study economics, supply and demand usually equals itself out. And if you increase the supply and decrease the, de- the demand, you're lowering the price right. at, the, the, at the very time when we really couldn't afford lowering the price. You've got foreign competition now. You have government, um, uh, new government restriction. Uh, environmental protection stuff um, coming down the pike, which is costing you more and more money. And now the price of copper drops like a rock because there's so much of it. And, the, and we probably could have survived that for more years than we did. But the, the final death knell in the coffin was uh, British Petroleum. BP in London, England is the largest miner in the world in the 1970s and the 1980s. And British Petroleum buys Kennecott Copper Corporation, which was operating here. Okay. That's not a big deal, except BP already owned the mines in Chile, in Ghana, and Malaysia. And now it's simply a business decision. Why would you mine Nevada, or Arizona, or Utah, or Butte, Montana? Um, Why would you mine them when they're marginally profitable? Why wouldn't you mine... Malaysia or Ghana or Chile, which is hugely profitable. Right. So what happened here in Eastern Nevada is the price of copper drops so low, so quickly, we're no longer profitable. With BP is now the new parent company of Kennecott Copper Corporation. They simply said, well, let's, uh, let's just lay everybody off. Now that's an important distinction. They did not say, let's close everybody down. They said, let's lay everybody off. Now, layoff is like, eh, dang it, we got laid off. Let's go fishing. We'll be back to work by Thursday. Right. You know, And that's that was pretty much the attitude of a lot of the people that were working here. Um, yeah, we've been through layoffs. Yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah, we'll be back. Because we always came back. Right. Um, These couldn't wrap their head around the fact that the world had changed. And... And, and how could you? I mean, how, yeah, how could right. you know that this was coming, right? And so everybody walked away from this railroad, from the mine, the smelter, and the railroad. They walked away in 1983. And, and never came back. They never came back to the railroad. They never came back to the smelter. But they did come back to the mine because you have this massive amount of copper ore still sitting out there. Now and here's kind of the phoenix rising from the ashes part of this story, okay? Um, in uh, we shut down in 1983, um, devastating for a very small, very rural place, yeah. um, relatively isolated. Um, but people hung on. They dug in. They, um, they made some uh, tremendous strides in attracting new industry to the area. Um, not focusing on just one thing, but focusing on a multitude of things. And, um, and we're successful at that. And while they were doing that, some genius comes along and technology changes the world all the time. And some genius comes up with some new process that makes copper uh, far more efficiently. Okay. Okay. So, and we have copper. And so in 1995, the copper mine would reopen, Okay, uh, building a, a brand new mill that processes it using this new technology and then um from 1995 until 1999 we'd mine copper like crazy uh, another kind of unexpected hiccup comes along in 99 we shut down in 99 but reopened in 2004 and from 2004 until now price of copper has been high enough to keep us working and producing copper in eastern Do we America. still use the railroad? we don't use the railroad any longer the railroad is still usable but, we didn't, use but it. we didn't use it in nineteen ninety five when it reopened, and here's why: that new talk, that new technology, um, is is a uh, concentrates copper. Okay, so uh, so I mentioned we're we're mining currently less than one percent copper in the ground. Um, we're so imagine orange juice. Okay, orange juice comes in a can. Yeah. Well, that can represents how many oranges? Right. I don't know the answer to that, but it's probably a lot. Right, and um, so imagine the orange juice uh, analogy, and that's what we do with copper. We take a vast amount of copper ore, we dig it out of the ground, we concentrate it. Um, it's coming out of the ground at less than one percent, but when it comes out of the out of the concentrator, comes out as copper concentrate, um, it's far higher, between forty and fifty percent. We truck that out now.
1: And then, what did they do with that with that product? Did they mix that into other alloys uh, in order to br- bring the concentrate back? I mean, like when you concentrate orange juice, you add water in order to bring it back. Right. Do they? Is the copper's main use as an alloy in several of these other metals, like sure. tin or? or I'm sure. Trying to think of what uses copper as an alloy to mix with other metals in order to bring it back, or or is it just That pure.
2: Um, So so that's a great question, and what that copper and and the answer to your question is yes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, We can take copper, and then once it's in a concentrated form, um, then you ship it out, and then you can make it either into copper or you can add your copper concentrate. I am I'm expecting you can add that to tin and make bronze, or add it to nickel and make brass, or Add it to whatever, or you could simply make copper.
1: Well, I'm glad okay. you know those other metals because I, I was struggling to figure out what yeah, the <laughs> metals they add it to in order to make
2: other metals. But I know what happens. Yeah, they do, and 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 copper is is um, extraordinarily useful in a, in a whole bunch of things. Right. You know? Um, but we still use it primarily for um, electrical wiring. They keep trying, you know, to come up with aluminum wire or some other kind of wire. And it keeps burning houses down, you know. Right. Copper is, a, is just a perfect conductor; it, it's almost as good a conductor as gold.
1: Well, and it also doesn't have the expansion and contraction with exactly. heat and some of those types of things right. that, that so many of your other metals have.
2: Right now, now gold is a great wire; right. you just can't afford <laughs> it, right? Right, <laughs> right? And so, copper makes an, an extraordinary you know, wire, and so we're and the world's always going to need it, you know. Right. Um, You know, you take some of those developing nations now that are doing rural electrification that the United States did in the 1930s and start, you know, start multiplying how many miles of wire do you think it takes to wire up India?
1: Right, exactly.
2: You know, I don't know the answer to that number either, but it's a big dang number. And you
1: don't need nearly as many telephone poles. Um because I've yeah. seen the telephone poles in India and there's a thousand wires coming from each one.
2: And and any developing nation is probably the same. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, sorry. No, no, no problem. So and, and so w- copper is this worldwide commodity. And because it is, we're still mining copper today. Now this museum celebrates the historical um the historical way we used to do that, where we would dig it out of the ground, transport it by rail. Uh, concentrate it, smelt it, and then ship copper out to the rest of the world. And that was done from, from the very museum that we're standing in now. This bay window that we're standing in front of um, gives you a commanding view of the entire rail yard and all of the tracks in this yard and the entire track going all the way up to this where historically the smelter was located, 12 miles to our north in the town of McGill. Okay. And from that desk that under the watchful eye of the traffic manager, that's cool. this entire railroad. Um, so how have
0: you all decide that you wanted to keep this going here and restore it and keep the railroad and the train? Sure, that's that a
2: great question. So in 1983, this place shuts down and you can imagine how devastating that is. Um, what Eastern Nevada and in specifically Ely has is location. We're right in the middle of uh, major thoroughfares, highway 93 going north, south, highway 50 going east, west. Um, we're perfectly situated for tourism. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, and I don't know that they expected to become a, the, as big a destination as we are. But they didn't need to. All they needed to do was say, "Let's just hold people here long enough." Right. right. Uh, Ely's isolated enough. You know that because you have to right. drive yeah. here, right? It's a long drive here. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but that's part of its beauty and it's part of its charm because you know you're four hours to the next major place. Right. All we need to do is hold people, right? And a museum is a great place to do that. Yeah. But in but it's also become this really kind of massive destination place for. People that love trains people that love history Absolutely. and, um, and this remarkably preserved building that we've stayed in Nevada has spent an enormous amount of money on, um, re- retains its day one appearance when it opened in 1907 which is really kind of extraordinary. Yeah, it's it's impressive
1: here. when you pull up here. It's, it's neat-looking complex. But something else that... And I haven't been to a lot of uh, rail stations, I guess. But we're looking out over the rail yard from a second story. We're up above all the rail cars and everything. But... Do most of the train stations have a second level? Most of them are single level, or do they all have the observation deck? for?
2: No, they, you're, you're correct. Most of them are single level. The the, um, the Nevada Northern Railway is unique because the administrative offices were located on the second floor of the Historic Railroad Depot.
1: And that's where we're at right that's now. That's where we are right now.
2: So the superintendent and the chief financial officer and... Um, all of those, you know, the, all of the bookkeepers, they had their offices upstairs. Downstairs was the baggage room the, the, and the freight operation and the passenger waiting rooms. Men's and women's waiting rooms were downstairs and those are still um, still designated the way they were when uh, the railroad was operating. Now, we did passenger service here from 1908 all the way up until 1941. Mm-hmm. Um, for 35 years, we uh, continued to... Um, haul people in and out of Ely. We hauled freight in and out of Ely all the way up until 1983, hauled copper uh, from Ely until and, and to the town of McGill where it was processed and shipped out from from 1908 all the way up till 1983. But that didn't come back when the mining came back. That okay. new technology made this railroad obsolete. So we did recognize the value of that, And in recognizing the value of that historic property the value of heritage um the there were some very far-thinking people who went to Kennecott Copper Corporation and said hey you've almost killed this town how about you give us something back how about you give us your railroad and Kennecott was magnanimous they were very generous and they said we're gonna walk away from it anyway so sure you guys take it on um, and they did. And so they gave the entire complex um, oh. to the city of Ely under the proviso that you have to create a private nonprofit entity to run it. Okay. Okay. And uh, so that was kind of the best of both worlds. You had the permanence of a city, the spontaneity of a private nonprofit. Um, and the private nonprofit, to their credit, recognized very early on we are over our head. <laughs> And so they looked around and said, who, uh, who does railroads? And it was the state of Nevada. The state of Nevada had an, has an extraordinary museum in Carson City with the oldest operating locomotives in America. Okay. Um, at the Nevada State Railroad Museum in Carson City. Um, they were in the process of developing a, a train ride in Boulder City, which is now up and running and really quite extraordinary as well. And so they asked the state of Nevada to come and help preserve this place. And the timing was was right. The state of Nevada said, yeah, well, um, this is something that we don't want to let go. It might be in the hinterland of Nevada, at least from the state capital or from any population center. But it's part of our heritage. It's part of our history. We want to preserve that. And their commitment was extraordinary. Uh, the state of Nevada would, over the course of uh, 30 years, pump in $3.4 million. Whoa in restoring two buildings that were deeded to the state in, um, in 1990. Um, I spent spend another almost, uh, three, well, $370,000 more maintaining those. And, uh, about to spend another couple million on them in the next phase of restoration. And so now you
1: guys have a couple of trains that <clears throat> still operate, right? We do
2: now in the, this, the, uh, when the entire complex was given to the city of Ely in a private nonprofit organization, that private nonprofit organization wanted to do um, a, a train ride, a tourist train ride, which is one of the industries that keeps eastern Nevada rolling right now. And, um, and so took the, the rolling stock that was left by uh, Kennecott Copper Corporation, um, did some work on maintaining the tracks, did some work on maintaining the locomotives. And we operate a uh, tourist train ride here uh, in Ely it's um it, it, the majority of the train rides are between Memorial Day and Labor Day okay oh, yeah. you can come out here on on uh, almost any day um, get a train ride um, we have some special seasonal trains like um uh, Reindeer Flyer Express trains in the summer. <laughs> yeah. uh, excuse me, not in the summer in the wintertime. And uh, haunted ghost trains in you know around Halloween. Now are um, these
1: steam or are they diesel they bo- or are they electric? Both.
2: They're steam and diesel. Steam and okay, diesel. Yeah. And um, so vintage equipment all. Okay, so we still have operating locomotives here. The oldest operating locomotive is Locomotive 93, built in 1909. Oh wow. An 116 ton locomotive that was used to to mine here in eastern Nevada. And it's still um, working, still running today. Um, It's far lighter, far faster um, uh, locomotive. This is locomotive number 40, uh, locomotive 40, built in 1910. And uh, kind of the queen of the Nevada-Northern Railway. Steam again? Steam, still. Okay. And new to that uh, stable is locomotive number 81. Um, When Kennecott closed in 1983, they gave that locomotive to the White Pine Public Museum, who put it out in front of their museum where it sat for 30 years and then was brought down here and and, um, painstakingly and uh, lovingly and expensively restored. And So, 81 now joins it's on track. Um, with, yeah, it's, it's where it used to live um, so cool. in, the, in the engine house still today.
1: And now, did you guys have a roundhouse here
2: also? We have an engine house. And, okay, and so the, in, the, engine house. Okay, the engine house is a massive building that uh, you can park 16 different locomotives in at any oh, given wow. time. And wow. we have some incredible rolling stock down there, including our oldest piece of steam equipment, a uh, steam powered wrecking crane. Oh, dating really? to 1907. Now, imagine a dinosaur-sized piece of rolling stock that can pick up a locomotive. Oh. Really? Powered by steam.
1: Really? Just like a crane that can it, pick it's, up a locomotive. That's exactly right. That's,
2: and the locomotives weigh what? 50 ton? Bigger. 96 tons is our lightest locomotive here. So what this crane could do... Unbelievable. A, is unbelievable. It's called a wrecking crane for a reason. It used to pick up the wrecks. Okay,
1: It wasn't mounted on the rails? Yeah. So they would take it on out it if was, you had a wreck and pick up a...
2: Put a locomotive behind it, push it anywhere you need to go, uh, set out the stabilizing bars, and then this steam-powered um, 1907 piece of equipment could pick up half of your locomotive and set it back on the tracks and then reconfigure and pick up the <laughs> other half and put it back on the tracks. Casey
1: Jones, here we come. Exactly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Railroading at its finest. But The other piece of of rolling stock that you'll want to see before you leave, uh, will absolutely blow your mind, is a rotary snow plow. Oh, really? The fact that we needed this. Right. um, Well, yeah, you
1: guys have a bunch of snow here right now. We do.
2: And, you know, we're, we're currently early January, and there's, you know, six to eight inches of snow on the ground. We're high desert here, so we can get snow. Um, apparently we used to get a lot more snow because we needed a rotary snowplow. Now this is a steam powered piece of equipment, okay? Um, and I just, I I have, the museum has pictures of this operating. And I would love to see that, but from a really far way away. (laughs) I I don't want to be anywhere near this thing when it's going. Um, it's a gigantic fan. Uh okay and the fan spins in a clockwise direction and you simply drive it across push it using a locomotive or three across the tracks uh down the tracks and it just picks up the snow and blows it about 150 feet away wow so imagine that had to have been just so interesting yeah you know
1: the, the way steam trains discharge when they get up to pressure and they had to create their own snow i would assume when they were going down the tracks with that steam exhausting coming off in in zero degree weather so so you've got the
2: steam coming out of the rotary snow plow and then Uh steam coming out of the locomotive behind the snow plow and then the two steam locomotives behind that and yeah i mean it's a it's a spectacle you know um that'd be so cool
0: it's yeah
2: it um like i say i've got photos of it operating (laughs) um it is astonishing that and I, I talked to the gentleman who did this in uh, the winter of 1950-51, got the rotary snowplow stuck. Really? <laughs> how big is the snowdrift? Now, give you a sense of size of this thing. The, the fan blades, uh-huh. okay, they're all, they're all iron and they spin around at, I have no idea how fast, but half the speed of sound or something like that. Um, how big is the snowdrift? That's 10 feet tall. Yeah. How big is a snowdrift that can get that thing stuck? So I... How do you get it unstuck? Well, That was, that was my question. I said, how, how do you... Well, first of all, how did you do that? And he said, oh, it was remarkably simple. We did a big snowbank, and we thought, well, we'll just punch it through, and uh, we just put it right in the air. He said, okay, how do you get it unstuck? He said, well, that was a little tougher. <laughs> um, we actually had to, we tried to back it up, okay, and just, but you have to come back down on the track. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is, and you don't have a lot of leeway here. So he said, we, we tried to back it up and that wasn't working. So we had to send men down to actually dig a okay. snow tunnel oh, no. on each side of the locomotive. And then because it's steam operated, it's, it's hot. We just kept the fire up, and we tried to melt it back onto the track oh. through the bank of snow that it was on.
0: By,
1: by discharging on one side or the yeah. other in order to melt the snow so it would Yeah, we, so we're,
2: we're kind of we're tilting a little oh. bit to the right. Let's dig fast on the left. Oh. And they eventually got it back onto the track, and they backed it up, and everything, all's right with the world. And I said, wow. Did you ever get through the snowbank? He said, "Yeah, we punched it, and we did the exact same thing a second time. You, you got to start twice in the same day." Said, yeah, the boss is pretty ticked about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what'd you do? Same thing, you know. Well, once
1: you once you figured out how to do it once, you could always figure it out again. But that initial trying to figure the it initial out one was be- the tough one. Right. Right. Oh yeah, uh, right.
2: So. Um, <laughs> So they did, and, and we used to need that here. Um, the winter of 49-50 and then 50-51 was killer winter out here. I mean, um, So much snow, you, you couldn't get anywhere. Huh. Um, they had to actually airlift um, hay to cattle that were out oh in, in fields because you couldn't get them in. Wow. So they brought in the army, they brought in, um, really? the, they brought in the, the double-tailed, Planes, they loaded them with hay, and then they would grab a local teenager and say, Hey, we're headed to this ranch. Where is it? You know, oh, next valley over, three ranches up. Wow. So they would fly hay in, in what was north north north. called Operation Haylift. They actually made a movie about this. Oh, really? And then, yeah. And then um, this kid would have, and this is a different era, um, they would tie a rope onto his belt, and then they would throw out hay to the oh, cattle in the fields <laughs>
0: we had a good belt. <laughs> <laughs> and a good rope yeah. Um,
2: yeah so and they would they would bring it down to just as low and as slow as they could go so they're 50 60 feet off the ground
1: but still In, doing 80, 90 miles an hour. Yeah. The so, so, stall speed is on those types of planes, but it's got to be, it's still got to be. It, yeah. And
2: you're humming. You're going really fast. And the wind chill has got to be the hard I mean, part yeah. of them, well, because that's not heated, you know. No,
1: when you got all the prop wash. Right. And then, and then as, as
2: soon as you dumped out all the hay to the right place, then they had to bring the kid into the cockpit and thaw him out and, so they could go back and get more hay and go do it again.
1: Wow. That's cool. Eastern Nevada
2: has some wonderful, wonderful stories about. Huh! Some of the cool stuff that we did here.
1: Okay, now I want to jump into another subject. Certainly, that I don't know how much you know or how much you don't know, but I've kind of I've got a Railway Express Agency truck, 1944, that I'm in the process of putting back together. 1944. 1944. I'll show you a picture of it. I'd love to done. see that. Sure. But uh, it's one of those things that the Railway Express Agency has always been intriguing to me, especially Sorry, since man. I found the truck. I'd never heard of it before. Walking in, I see a Railway Express Agency uh, cart, right, there, yeah. cart for moving stuff. Would you like to uh, expound a little bit on Railway Express Agency? Do you sure. have displays here for Railway Express Agency besides the cart? And uh, uh, how did it operate out of here?
2: Sure. Um, so we, we have some artifacts from the Railway Express Agency. now. Uh, We'll back up a little bit. Railway Express Agency is basically the forerunner to UPS on rails. Right. Okay. So they delivered everywhere. They delivered absolutely everywhere in the country because rail went everywhere in the country.
1: Well, not only that, from my understanding, Railway Express Agency was created by the major railways back east, all the ones you see on the the Monopoly board and such. And it was basically uh, a monopoly... To haul freight like UPS.
2: That's exactly, exactly right. Okay. Now, so a number of historical factors have to come together to make that work. And so you have America's Industrial Revolution, where America becomes the largest producer of consumer goods in the world. Okay. Um, well, producing consumer goods doesn't do you any good unless you can get them to the people who need them. Well, who needs consumer goods? And the answer is everybody. Mm-hmm. How do you get them things? And, and in uh, a man by the name of Sears comes up with this idea. He actually worked on a, on a railroad, uh, comes up with an idea, starts out actually with, um, because railroads have become such an, a major part of American life. He starts out, he buys a, a, a number of pocket watches and says, Hey, all of these railroads in America are now linked. And all of these railroads in America, um, are all confused because we don't have a standardized time zone. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I will sell you now because of, we have time zones in America because railroads. Uh, for the first time, for, for the first time in the history of the world, you're traveling faster than the sun. So imagine prior to standardized time, moon is whenever the the moon or the sun is directly overhead. Mm-hmm. Well, that means noon in Wyoming is different than noon 90 miles away in Idaho or Utah. Right. Or, you know, 120 miles away in wherever. So, because of railroads, we now get standardized time zones.
1: I've always wondered where that came from.
2: It came out because of railroads in America and the opportunity to travel faster than the sun. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so now... You get this genius idea of Sears um, who says, well, he worked on a railroad and his noon and the next station's noon aren't the same noon because they're just saying, well, whenever this, the sun is directly overhead, that's noon. So he's saying our train is going to be there at one thirty, but the one thirty of the next town down the line isn't the same as the 1.30. Hence standardized time zones. There's four of them. Okay. Now, if you're in a standardized time zone, now you need a watch. And Sears starts out by buying a number of watches and telling all of the people that are next or in line to him saying, Hey, you guys want to watch so that your time and my time is the same time because we're in the same time zone. And they all do. And it sparks this idea of Sears saying, well, what else could you sell? And the answer is everything.
1: Everything.
2: Everything you could possibly imagine. In fact, there's an artifact um, in this museum that shows you that.
1: Okay, let's, let's go take a look at that. But in the process, when you say everything, they sold guns, they sold motorcycles, they sold, sold right. automobiles. They sold houses. They sold houses. A craftsman and that's, home. <laughs> that's the thing that just right. amazes me is you could buy a whole house from Sears Roebuck.
2: Yeah, you could, and it showed up to you on a box car. Yes. Here is a, one of uh, a piece of it, of the uh, Sears catalog. You could buy a brand new. Stove for twenty five dollars and ninety eight cents. the now most popular stove, I
1: mean. he's talking about like the old wood, majestic or wood uh, burning stove, burning stove um, that you cooked on the top and poured wood in the side. That's you correct. Water on the on the side. You had your bread and, warmer and the
2: warming oven on the top. Okay. And so they sold it for
1: twenty five dollars ninety eight. Twenty five
2: dollars and ninety eight cents. Um, the telephone, um, the new invention that was sweeping the country, available for the bargain basement price of. 12 dollars um, remarkable in that everything could be delivered by rail, and that so so here you have this perfect combination of a number of events. you have a, a very smart idea. you have an existing railway network, you now have existing time zones that links everybody, um, and now you can ship anything to anybody and see so you made a killing on that
0: oh yeah.
1: But you also had J.C. Penney's that tried to cash in on Montgomery war. Ward. Yep, you have um, a lot of different uh, companies that tried to cash in. Here we've got a railway express. There's the railway express agency Diamond. original
2: sign. Um, I yeah, did we're, a,
1: we're, we're in an office now. What's we are. Office? We are
2: in the um, in the the office of what today would be called the chief financial officer. Okay. Um, in its day, this the. Uh, this office was called the auditor. And the auditor was the person who was responsible for all the money that this railroad was making. Um, it was a, amazing. Um, and, and we have this tremendous American immigrant story here of uh, a, young, a young man at the age of 14 starts on this railroad. And will retire forty-seven years later wow. as the auditor of the railroad, kind of the, wow. the business guy of the railroad, the one guy right under the superintendent of the
1: railroad. Okay, and we're we're in this office. We're You've in his office. Old oak uh, file cabinets. You've got several pictures. Cabinets there. were
2: original to the building when it was built in nineteen oh seven. We've got pictures showing how uh, Ely developed because of the coming of the railroad. An original payroll record um, from. Uh, all handwritten, um, better handwriting than I have to be sure. And just the railroad was such an amazing part of all of America, oh, but yeah. certainly rural America.
1: Well, and, and and the thing that I see over here that's kind of fascinating to me is you've got a ledger book of some sort that has to be three foot long, Cute. two foot wide, and four to six inches thick. I've never seen a book, a ledger book. He must have done a lot of you were big looking, writing on that. You were
2: looking at a payroll record of the mine, uh, the copper mine here in eastern Nevada, uh, that weighs forty-five pounds.
1: Forty, yeah, forty-five pound yeah. ledger book. Th- <laughs> yeah.
2: The amazing thing is the gentleman that um, that the auditor uh, was five foot one. That, that book weighs half what he was going
1: to say. He wasn't carrying it for was he?
2: <laughs> but all the equipment that the railroad had, they, they fortunately left behind. And, uh, and it's still here. Um, we've taken it out of its storage. We've cleaned it up. we put it on display. Yeah. And now, um, and then exhibiting that to the public. You walk into this place and it really is uh, like a time capsule. It really is like it stepping is. back in time. It's absolutely authentic to what this office would have been. Um, when people were working here from between 1908 and some of the equipment from 1908 still on display here. Um, World War One comes along here in Eastern Nevada. We still have the original recruiting sign from the United States Army. Really come down here and um, right there on the wall. Right there on the wall. Um, we want you for the army and um, Uncle Sam saying I want you and well, you the said, railroad didn't want you to leave but. Um, but you know you did your best for the war effort, and Eastern Nevada becomes a recruiting mecca for the United States Army because primar- primarily uh, our our population were all European immigrant. Okay, and so it was relatively easy to play um, emotions. Emotions, you know, don't you hate what the Huns are doing to your homeland? Don't you want to, you know, fix that and. Right, and, and so people, we, we sent an extraordinarily large contingent of soldiers from uh, eastern Nevada off to, to the Great War, it was called.
1: Now this is interesting. All of this furniture in here is, is all oak. There's all oak uh, furniture in here and oak file cabinets. Are the, the, the original? But the thing that's interesting about these is the handles are the wrong way. <laughs> They're vertical. We're, we're used to looking yeah. at file cabinets with the handles going horizontal, and these ones are vertical.
2: Right. Think about that. If, if you're working in an office today, how does your hand come up? It comes up, it comes up vertical. Up,
1: yeah. I, I think it makes a lot more sense. It's it just does. I've never seen it.
2: Yeah. Um, the original office furnishings of this railroad are still on this railroad. And you can come see those here. Um, the, the one thing that we get um, of, our, of the majority of our visitors is – this place is authentic, and yeah. and we've tried painstakingly um, hard to maintain that, maintain that authenticity, um, including some of the stories of people that worked here. Um, the five-foot-one guy who was the chief auditor, his, his father was actually killed on this railroad, which is what gave him a job at the age of 14. We have both of their stories here. Wow. Um, you can read those. You can read the story of... Of a woman who, um, who, in a very male-dominated um, profession, like railroad, right. rose to the top, and her abilities were off the chart. Um, I, I, I did not have the opportunity to meet this woman. I would love to have, but speaking with people who worked with her, um, she could add faster than the adding machine. Wow. That's in her head. You know, <laughs> that's... Um, um, and, and the, the people who did, uh, who did this type of work, who created... So that you have very hard work going on outside, maintaining track, maintaining locomotives. And we have that here. Right. But we also have a lot, of, a lot of thinking going on. And we also have that here. And those stories have been captured and are now presented here in the museum.
1: That is so cool. And it is. It's very nice uh, walking through here. It
2: kind of reminds me a lot of
1: Courthouse. Uh, I, the upstairs here, the, the long hall with all the little office doors. And the, and all of the offices
2: radiating off the side of that. Right, and, and
1: the little windows up above, you know, the, the early 1900s courthouses that you mm-hmm, see in almost every with, county. With the transom windows this, over the top of yeah, the doors. And, it, it, yeah. It's very reminiscent of that. Yeah. And, yeah. and what's this office? So
2: we've moved into the, um, the superintendent's office. The superintendent was the, the man who was responsible for keeping the railroad running. Um, because the railroad was Ely Nevada's link to the outside world. I'll point out a couple of things. Um, the, the desk, um, you're in the corner office, and so the desk is original uh, to this office. So is the artwork on the wall. And it um, is a
1: monster desk. I don't know that I've seen a desk <laughs> quite this big. It, it, uh, it's uh, a roll top. Yeah, a it roll is. Top. It's a roll top. Yeah, And it's, it's probably eight foot long.
2: Um, yeah, you need about six guys to move that.
1: I bet you do. At
2: least the last time I moved it, that's how many guys I needed.
1: you've got uh, one-year-old 19, what, probably 40 telephones sitting there? Uh, a l- little uh, earlier,
2: 1920s telephone. Is it that hmm
1: And a really cool picture of a buffalo. Uh,
2: the oldest inhabitant on the line of the Union Pacific, and a picture of a bison. Um, a great story about that. It actually came to us by a gentleman who, uh, that hung in his father's office here on this railroad. Okay. Um. And and then when they, uh, they came through and they said, hey, we're going to renovate the office, repaint it. And, and so we're going to throw all this stuff away. He said, I like that picture. I want it. So he took it home and he put it, brought it home. And his wife said, not in my front room, buddy. Really? You know, you're not hanging out in my front room. So he put it in the basement. Well, his son remembers it being in the basement. And, you know, he had that. Had that memory of that uh, in his father's office when he was a little kid who came to visit. And his son was in his 80s when he brought us that picture and said, my wife said, I can't hang this in our front room. So do you guys want it back? And I said, absolutely, I want it back. What office did it hang in? It's hanging in the office that that it used to hang in. Wow. This was his father's office.
1: And that's, that's, I would have hung that in my living room. I, I, I would I, too. I would. And, really liked that. I picture. would too, but
2: my wife is enormously tolerant. So. <laughs> okay. Now, Railroading uh, was the second most dangerous occupation in America. Um, only mining was more dangerous, at least when they were keeping track.
1: And what about timber? Uh,
2: that was up there, but that was, it was harder to keep track because you hired timber laborers by the day. Because, because
1: you buried them by the night. Probably.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Um, yeah, it was, timbering was, was incredibly dangerous, but um, railroading and mining both are extraordinarily dangerous because everything's big and heavy and slow to stop. Uh, we have the payroll records in this museum um, that go back to 1906. We also have, um, uh, for multiple years, the accident files Oh really? Of um of this railroad, um, the one I've been going through most recently is 1912, and it this happens to be in the attorney's file. Okay? okay, now the attorney in 1912. Um, I just, I mean, some and these these it are. If we take a look at the number of people that are, um, that are being injured, okay, it's. Um, it's almost twenty percent. Really? Now that's astronomical in terms of injury rate by today's standard. Oh yeah, they'd be yeah. shut down in a heartbeat. Um, but but back then, it, you know, when so many immigrants were flowing into America from Europe and um, and Mexico and Asia, um, getting new people wasn't hard.
1: Well, not only that, but I don't think that they'd quite developed a lot of your safety shields, and I mean your equipment when you were running a cable-operated uh, pulley system for moving things or whatever. There was no safety. If your finger got in the wrong place, you were. Minus a finger, minus a finger, minus an arm, or a hand. depending on how far yeah. it went. Same thing with exactly. machine shops, right? Uh, and and this is something that's just kind of a, a stupid for me. But you go back and look at all of your uh, Popular Mechanics magazines, and they always show a guy standing at a lathe wearing a tie. I just can't even imagine that you'd put on a tie before you went to work on a lathe. That sounds like a hanging waiting to happen. A,
2: a different time and a, a different dress code um, back then. But even, even the simplest things, like safety glasses, right. weren't a thing until the 1960s. Right. Um, hard hats, steel-toed shoes, those, those were all unheard of. Right. Um, and it was, so when, when this railroad, th- this railroad's motto from its inception was safety first. Really? Because we used to kill people here. No. I mean, not intentionally. Right. But no, railroading no, was no, just well, dangerous. Right.
1: Now, was this part of the situation where you hear that everything belongs to the company store? Did the company hire and house and feed and everything you did, all all the money that you made went back into keeping you alive to where the company benefited from everything that you did? You were basically a slave, I guess.
2: You were Um, indentured anyway. By the time you
1: died, you still owed.
2: (laughs) To to quote Tennessee Ernie Ford in a song, uh, Saint Peter, don't you call me? I can't go because I owe my soul to the company store. Right. Now that was possible here. In fact, we have within the collection of the museum a check in 1938 um, for an employee who who worked for two weeks and was paid thirty eight dollars in 1938. Okay, okay. Um, and then at the bottom of the check are all of the deductions. So they did, and this gentleman worked in the company smelter in the town of McGill. They deducted his rent from his company house. They deducted his um, the coal that he bought from the company to heat his company house. They deducted the electricity that he bought from the company to light his company house. They deducted his union dues, his hospital dues, and they deducted his coupons from the company store, what he went in and charged right. at the company store. And at the end of two weeks, that check was for 002 Two cents. Now, you know, you can think of this however you want, but at the end of two weeks, okay, he was only given two cents in his paycheck. But on the other hand, everything he ever needed was paid for out of that paycheck before he ever got it. So, right. so yeah, that was possible. Uh, McGill, Nevada, quite possibly, the quintessential company town in America. Okay. Uh, located just 12 miles north of Beely. It was the smelting town. Um, that the company was running that town uh, with, with pretty much an iron fist, um, but it was incredibly clean. It was remarkably safe. Um, if you were a teenager and you were caught vandalizing, um, you didn't worry about the county sheriff. You worried about the company sheriff, okay. the company sheriff, if he caught you, he didn't ask what your name was. He didn't care. He just said, what's your dad's employee number? And the next day, your father has a note on his timesheet see the superintendent before you punch in. You go and see the superintendent who says, Your kid was vandalizing last night. And if this happens again, you're out of the job. Now, that's enormously motivating for that father to make sure that his son doesn't go vandalize anything again. So, you know, I was at the Lackawanna
1: coal mine in uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, I think it was Scranton. It doesn't really matter. But uh, they were talking that a lot of underage kids were working in the coal mines and, and that type of stuff. And, and the reason is, is if the dad ended up getting killed, injured, whatever on the job, that they wanted a replacement or you were out. And so the kids would have to go to work in order to let mom and family still stay in the company housing because there wasn't any compensation or anything else for for an injury or a death on, on the job. And you had to have somebody else fill those shoes immediately or, or else you were out on the street.
2: And, and part of the progressive era um, in American history was um, an era where we looked at problems like child labor, chi- children working in coal mines and... Um, at six years of age. Yeah, and, and we didn't have that necessarily here because okay. we were at the tail end of, of the Progressive Era that had made substantive changes. It says, you know, kids should be in school. Kids should be learning something. And by golly, you know, we should be paying for public school, not just, you know, those that could afford it go to school. And so um, public schools became a thing between the, between the 1860s, 70s, and 80s into the 1890s. Um, we did not have child labor here as much, primarily okay. because it was just, just the work was just too it difficult. Was... But you could get a job at the age of 14 here, and, and uh, Mike Fondy did, and retired 47 years later.
1: Cool. Okay,
2: so now we're... So some of the original equipment that was used to survey the railroad and to build the railroad is still here, still on display. Uh, some of the photographs of that, even uh, the... <clears throat> the Nevada Northern tally sheet of every single mile of, uh, of track and how many, um, how many rails, how many tie plates, how many angle bars, how many kegs of nails. Um, it, it, in 120 miles, that's uh, 1.6 million spikes according to the 1908 document. Um, that's a lot.
1: And Where did they get their ties from? Did they have tie camps around here? Uh,
2: there was a sawmill that was established just north of uh, the town of McGill okay. and they were doing some significant milling.
1: Because I know we went to the charcoal, uh, <laughs> the ovens, charcoal ovens yesterday right, yeah. and they were talking about the amount of wood that they used to make charcoal for smelting and it just doesn't seem like there would be much in the way of anything left for building any railroad ties
2: it uh, It takes a lot of wood, but there is a lot of wood in the the mountains surrounding Ward where those, uh, where those charcoal ovens went were built um, There's a lot of wood in the mountains just east of Ely okay and but, but if you're a railroad, you can bring those in from any anywhere, anywhere right and they did a lot of that as well
1: <clears throat> okay let's move on the next. This is fascinating. I'm loving this.
2: Now this is the room, and, and maybe we should have started here, but this tells you about the First Peoples of Ely and the first discovery of copper and the plan of the Nevada Northern Railway. Even uh, the artifact is the original Rail Day um, program. Uh, September 29th, 1908, or excuse me, that's not right, 1906. Uh, the founder of the railroad, a man by the name of Mark Riqua, he's the gentleman with the vision to say all right. We've got this. Um, America needs copper. Eastern Nevada has copper. We just need to get it out of here. How do we get it out? We, we rail it out. And Riqua is the man who actually comes up with a plan for the Nevada Northern Railway. Uh, he will go on to build the Nevada Northern um, between 190 uh, starting in 1905, completes it to Ely by 1906, and then completes it another eight miles to the mine by 1908. Um, by 1908, he is the subject of a hostile takeover. Uh, the Guggenheim family, who was controlling copper in America, okay. um, uh, rather adeptly acquired 51% of the stock. And um, and he went on to make a fortune doing some other things. A second fortune, actually. Oh, okay. Um, he was, so he
1: didn't get all wiped out. He, he proceeded to...
2: Correct. He 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 did okay. He landed on his feet. Um, served America in World War One as the uh, this title isn't exactly right, but it's a complicated title. It's something like the he was the food commissioner for the United States okay. production of agricultural foodstuffs in the United States during World War One. Now, this
1: office, you've got a lot of lithiograph machines. Uh, some of the original
2: uh, mimeograph. Um, mimeograph. Right. Mimeograph is the, the forerunner to a Xerox machine. Right. And um, <laughs> if you're old enough to remember mimeograph, it has a very distinctive smell. Uh-huh. Um, if you're very lucky, we'll open a gallon of mimeograph fluid and let you smell that. I've, I've it, smelled just, it a lot. Just to bring These back... These are hand, hand rotary, rotary yep. printers. As they as well. are. Um, some of them are more modern. Some of them are electrical powered. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the original uh, mimeograph machines are here.
1: And now, is that an adding machine? It is. is that? that's,
2: uh, that's one of the, um, the, the new and improved Burroughs adding machines. <laughs> that's got more um, keys
1: on it than, uh, than, well, I don't even know what. You've got probably, what, 100 different keys on that thing.
2: It's, uh, it's a lot. It's a great bicep builder because you punch in the key and then you have to reach up, grab a handle, pull it forward to make it all work. It all, it's all mechanical. So, you know, that machine weighs 63 pounds, and your telephone is a better calculator.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, so. it's, it's an interesting uh, piece of equipment there. And then you've got a couple of old typewriters. And oh, that's interesting. That scale has a big chart on it. Was that for... That, that allows you to
2: calculate how much postage you're sending, how much the weight of your letter and how much it weighs. And, and then you can actually um, put that on before you send it to the post office. Okay.
1: And, and Railway Express, getting back to Railway Express, because I think we left that someplace along the way. Yeah, sorry, my,
2: my mind jumps. Well, and, my, and mine's probably
1: worse than yours. I, I, I see something, and I immediately squirrel. Uh, so anyway, uh, now they would ship absolutely anything. Uh, I mean, they didn't care what it was. They would figure out how to to ship it. That's correct. And then they would send it out on the rail, Mm -hmm. and then they had individual trucks. Uh, Was all that done at a separate station, or was that done like at this station?
2: Well, here on the Nevada Northern, it was done out of the freight house, the long uh, red building that's immediately to the west of the depot. And, um, yeah, you're, you're correct. They sent anything and you could come pick it up. That whole building is built so that you could pull a train up to the north side and it would be the height of the boxcars that things are okay. being shipped on. And then as you came and, and you would take all of the, uh, all, all that was being sent across, um, the railway express agency. If, for instance, you ordered something and it was being delivered by railway express agency, the railroad would take it. And it would hold it in its freight building until you came to pick it up. So you would come to the office. There was a window there. The railway express agent would say, you know, what are you here for? And they, you would present them the what they gave you saying your item is here. They would go get it and bring it to you.
1: So you had to, so you had to bring your pickup or your wagon or and whatever then, it is that you had to haul your freight. Right.
2: Out. And the street on the south side of the building is higher than the tracks on the north side of the building so that you could back your wagon up, load your stuff into, you know, that would come across the building, which is level. You load your stuff into your wagon and then um, haul it to your home or
1: wherever. Now, were they running the freight trucks out of here also? Uh,
2: We did have uh, Railway Express trucks. Um, There's still one of them in existence here on the Nevada Northern Railway. I'm not sure. It might be a little older than the one that, that you have. Nineteen. Right. I'm, I'm not sure about that truck. Maybe 1930s. Maybe early 40s. Um, the the best story I have of the Railway Express Agency was a, a, a gentleman now in his 70s. Um, before the Railway Express Agency shut down, um, recognized rather early on in his life that you could finance your young teenage life by bootlegging fireworks into ely nevada okay now they were illegal but you could still get them um but the the u.s postal service doesn't deliver fireworks right but the railway express agency does so he would come down here before he was even a legal age he would uh, in i believe he said he was 14 years old he would place an order and he would order m80 firecrackers by the thousand
1: Okay, and
2: then they would come by Railway Express Agency, and then he'd have to talk his dad into coming down here, and um, because his dad had to sign for him because he was too young, and then he would take his uh, M80s and sell them to all his friends. He said he was the richest teenager he knew.
1: Well, I can imagine that would be the
2: case. <laughs> well, I, yeah, he probably you know found the found something that people needed and and capitalized on it. So you know, here's to the American way, right? Yeah. Now, my favorite room is this one, and yeah. uh, and it's not, you know, if you look in this room, this is the storeroom. The storeroom is, um, has every single form to run this railroad stacked on the shelves the way they left it in 1983. Railroad. Now remember, they were, they were told, we're laying you off. They didn't say, we're shutting you down. They were told, we're laying you off. And so everybody walked away, and they left this room exactly like this. Now periodically we dust it off, but um, this is the way they left it. You've got the when old, they old away packages. you
1: old envelope boxes. The you inner office stacks mail. Of envelopes and and
2: every single blank form that it takes to run this railroad still stacked on the shelves. That is wow, that is it, amazing. It's almost a ghostly look at American industry frozen in time from forty yes, years
0: excellent.
1: ago. So you get
0: to look at the forms every once in a while. Just yeah, periodically
1: to we pull those out. out. Yeah.
0: Okay, Sean, this has been absolutely fascinating. I I have learned
1: so doggone much from you on this tour. The historian part of it I find just as fascinating as the railroad part of it. You've given so much history as far as uh, the time zones and just so many things that I didn't really have a grasp on. Uh, And like I said, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking your
2: time today. I'm happy to do it. It's always fun when people come in. when we have people that we get to show around or uh, we get to, to share our past with someone else, is always a fun thing for us.
1: Well, I appreciate you enjoying that because this has been just fantastic mm-hmm. for me. Excellent. Anyway, we're going to go now and take a look at some of the other grounds. You said that there were some other people that uh, can add to what you've you're, already you're said. You're going to want
2: to see the machine shop. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That's the kind of thing that's going to make OSHA go crazy. Okay. Oh. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration just goes nuts about that place because it predated them right so you're going to walk in there and one of the things you're going to see is a 1917 wheel truing lathe okay that's 25 feet long and we use really? it here to you still it.
1: use it it's still used yeah and it hasn't been updated to osha standards well osha doesn't administer railroads
2: oh the federal railroad administration administers railroads so you can get you can do that it's it's not illegal so i'm telling you um, and it, it's amazing. Uh, one of the one of the funnest days on my job in 30 years was down at that wheel train lathe with a, a Kennecott machinist named um, Tom Lake. Uh-huh. Um, who ran that machine on this railroad for 30 years. Wow. And he said, um, I, so I asked him about the machine. And he said, well, why not just show you? Said, <laughs> yeah, why don't you just show me? And so he said, come on down Thursday. And so we went down and Now, I wanted to watch it from across the room because this looks like a new way to kill yourself, right? And um, he said, oh, come on over here. And so I was standing right next to him while this man who worked on this massive machine for three decades and was just so in tune with that machine. He actually, he trued up two wheels right in front of me in about six minutes. Really? It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Now, sadly, Mr. Lake's passed away now for a number of years, but, um, but that knowledge that he had is still here. and That is awesome. The, that's one of the things that, that we're proudest of, is that we get to maintain um, the, the, the knowledge that people learned and that people perfected uh, working on railroading here in Eastern Nevada. In this complex still has all the machinery that does that. Wow. Awesome. Hence the most complete shoreline railroad in America. Can yeah. hardly wait. Cool stuff. You're going to love it. You, you, I mean, no matter where you go, it's going to be awesome. So come on down. Stop here. We'll give you the directions. Um, head out. Look around. Um, steam equipment to find massive pieces of machinery that to show you how incredible America's industrial age was mm. back when America was the foremost producer of, uh, of you know, every, everything in the world right. and uh, before that all went somewhere else, um, but yeah, this, this gives you a, a, a distinct and authentic look at what American industry was like uh, in the last century going back to the beginning of the last century in 1908. And what are you guys'
1: operating hours?
2: So uh, we're here every day um, from 8 until 4 and sometimes later in the summer. Um, and then uh, you'll, you can come down here, you can, uh, you can tour around, you can talk with the historian, you can um, just walk around the complex, you can not talk to the historian if you don't want to do that. Um, if You're trends, missing out if you don't. Um, <laughs> we, we've worked really hard to know a lot of stuff about Eastern Nevada, and um, and and take uh, personal pride in the fact that we've spent three decades learning this stuff. Um, but but then there's also really cool stuff. You can walk around. You, the, probably the biggest celebrity ever um, on this complex is a cat named Dirt. Okay. Who lives in the machine shop? You'll meet him when you go to the machine shop. Pretty. Um, dirt, and now uh, Dirt has, I'm not quite sure the relationship, but there's another cat, DJ, and um, they used to be white and orange. <laughs> used to be. <laughs> now they're kind of like dirt. White and dirt. <laughs> and orange, or orange and dirt. You know. um, funny. But, but they're friendly and celebrities to be sure, so um, you can meet with them. And um, you can just have an extraordinary exploration of America's industrial past by walking on this complex now do
1: you guys have YouTube videos of different things working or any of that kind of stuff
2: you can you can find us on uh, Nevada Northern Railway uh, on YouTube Just google us and, and what YouTube about us? a website uh, websites both there's uh um, Nevada culture org um, will get you to the state museum website and then we share the complex with the Nevada Northern Railway and you can you can go on their website, and they're all linked.
1: And you can take train rides in the you summer? You can take train rides in the summer. On uh, both the steam and the diesel? Steam or? and diesel, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you got open cars, closed cars? Both. Both? Okay. And how long is the trip?
2: Depending, There's multiple trips, so it depends on which one you take, but it's somewhere around two hours. Just enough to give you a, a really great um, experience in, uh, in American industry and in railroads. Cool. And they're
1: not that expensive. I was looking on your website. They were like 30 bucks. Yeah, it's not bad. So.
2: Put it on your life list. (coughs) You know, if you're a diehard rail fan, then uh, Ely has got to be on your your life list of trains to see before you die. Mm
1: -hmm. And I'd say even if it's not on your life list to do a railroad train museum whatever this is still absolutely fascinating just the the short part that i've been on i can hardly wait to get to the other parts if we're not
2: on your life list put us on your life put us on there (laughs) there you go Um, yeah it it really is a unique experience in america um, when we look back on what american industrial heritage uh, and how that formed the country you can see that here firsthand right and it really is an extraordinary look at
1: america's past thank you so much for taking your time today sean it was short notice we were just cruising across here and uh in fact we stayed in the loves parking lot last night uh we got our rv and they were super friendly there sure but yeah. uh, we saw the museum was here and we said we, well let's just go down and check it out and short notice and sean hooked us up and and this has been fantastic
2: happy to do it you're, um you're always welcome and uh one of one of our favorite things is sharing our our collective heritage with people who come to visit. So, uh, come on back anytime, and um, we'll fill you in on all the stuff that we left out on this round.
1: Okay, and we're going to go down and catch some more. Machine shop see that for sure. Thank you, Sean. Been a pleasure. Thanks. Bye. Okay, we just moved from the museum into the machine shop, and I can tell you this see this machine shop. Is outrageously big and cool. We're with John, and John has said that he would take some time with us to kind of go over some of the machinery, kind of some of what they do. And so, welcome, John. Thank I you. appreciate you taking
3: your time with us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so, yeah, you're in the original uh, 1907 engine house and machine shop. Some of the machines date from that time period, some are a little newer, some are a little older. Um, but yeah, the building was built in 1907 to service locomotives and cars for the railroad and we still do that here today. You're still working
1: on actual running locomotives. Exactly. And inside the shop right now, you've got a
3: a steam engine it looks like. Yeah, we have a steam engine that's 81. Uh, We just put that back into service uh, in October of 2020 and it was built in 1917. It was built new for the railroad, Uh, it never left. Um, And we just put it back in service in 2020. Uh, so that's our, our 2021, rather. That's our new engine, quote-unquote. Um, so you so. guys rebuilt the boiler and everything yep. here? We did pretty much everything. Some of the stuff we had to send out, we don't have a lathe set up that's big enough to turn the driving wheels. So we sent that out, and they tur- while well, we had it out there, they made new bearings for it and all that. But pretty much everything else we did in-house, we did the tube work. We had a contractor come in and do some of the welding on the boiler. Um, but most of the rest of it we did in-house with the crew we have. So about... Five or six guys.
1: Total. Wow. How many yeah. years did it take?
3: Uh, we officially started in 2014, um, but they had to get all the asbestos offers, so we had a contract company come in and do all that. We didn't really start doing a lot of the, ma- or the major overhaul to it until probably the last three or four years. Really? So, yeah. And
1: now, did you have to rebuild the coal car and all that also? It needed a little
3: work. It didn't need that much. <laughs> okay. Take it apart, clean it, inspect it fix what was wrong but there wasn't much wrong with it so i had a couple patches to put in that was about it okay and for those that aren't familiar you've seen the steam engines
1: there's always a car behind that Mm -hmm. that uh is a coal car or the tender or or yeah they used wood on some of these too didn't they some of them
3: used wood some of them use oil we use coal
1: okay so and those are built on a slope, so the coal always little comes bit, down, yeah. right? A little bit. Yeah, you
3: can actually see a rivet line on the side. Right. We can walk down there, I'll show it to you. There's a rivet line. You can see where the slope is on this one. <laughs> okay. So.
1: And this is separate from where the museum is by about, well, probably about 300 blocks. yards or something yeah. like that.
3: Yeah. Or it's all part of the museum still. We're just down on this end off. Yeah. And,
1: and anybody so. that's coming to the museum can come in here and mm-hmm. talk with you and. and yep see the machines
3: yeah this is talk with any of us down here so he's got lathes in <laughs> yeah. here he's got
1: milling machines he's got so much stuff that's yeah. just and it's all on a massive scale mm-hmm. and you even have the old uh, uh, wheel lines yeah the old, the old the old
3: belt driven lathes and we still use them every now and then when we need to so, and what powers those? There's just an electric motor up top. You can see it. In right 1907, there. were they using well, electric or were they using Well, in 1907, they had a steam engine that ran it, and then they converted it all to electric at some point. So, unlike this machine's been converted, uh huh. They added this electric motor to it. Originally, they would have had a pulley system set up on top, and they just swapped it over to an electric motor. And
1: when I'm talking about a pulley system, you had a have a big bar that that runs across. Yep. That has several different uh, pulley yeah. uh, apparatuses on it, and you mm-hmm. run a belt yep. that's made out of canvas or. Yeah, I believe I
3: believe these are canvas. But, yeah. but the I'm old sure, ones actually. would have been leather. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: and then true. they come on down, and then they turn the machines. Mm-hmm. Yep. So each machine doesn't have an individual motor. You just have a long bar right. that's, and that's driven once. A,
3: there's a clutch. They call it a line shaft, right? And okay. And so they've got a clutch that you can engage and disengage that pulley from the line shaft. And so if you don't want this to spin, you disengage the clutch, right? Okay. So you can work on a part in here, setting it up or something, while the other guy over there is running his lathe still. And, and that, the line that, shaft that is still running. That line shaft
1: is running 24
3: right. hours a day. Exactly. You're just, you're just mm-hmm. working each individual piece of equipment from mm-hmm. that one yep. drive drive yeah. line. Yeah. So, yeah, this whole shop at one point in time probably was set up, the, all the machines were run off a line shaft, but that, they did away with that probably, I don't know when exactly, probably by the 20s they were... They were probably a little bit dangerous. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you've, got all these, you've got all these
1: big old belts that could grab you
3: and, and exactly. twist you around, and there's a lot of power going yeah, through that. exactly, yep. So, yeah, and it doesn't care. So, the machines ha- don't, get, don't forgive, they just...
1: tear you apart exactly (laughs) if you want to see some interesting (laughs) videos go on youtube and look at laybacks yes that's for sure i mean somebody gets a a sleeve caught in
3: one of those Mm -hmm. and and they're sucked in big time exactly so so um, yeah
1: okay you've got a caboose in here are you
3: rebuilding that one also yeah it's in for an inspection and we found a couple of the defects that we need to remedy Um, so we're going to make a new uh, spring support for it because it's shot a um, couple other little things nothing major really we have some bolts we need to change underneath um, so we'll get that done at some point point. <laughs> and in the walk down here it looked like you're not hurting for projects to oh, do oh no we have more projects than I know what to do with or any of us know we have lifetimes of project not a lifetime many lifetimes of projects so and if we go out in the engine house I'll show you some more Uh. (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking forward to the engine house i'm actually highly intrigued
1: with this my son spends a lot of time on his lathe and milling machine we just have one in the garage it's it's got a a three foot or four foot bed on it that's cool but uh, i think these are 10 footers the The thing thing that amazes me is what all you can make on a lathe i mean Mm -hmm. he he, he's got a Mm -hmm. clutch or or the what do they call the a chuck. A chuck. Yeah. There we go. He's got a chuck. That probably will hold a four-inch piece of, of mm-hmm. metal, but he can turn a little tiny screw out of that thing yep. that mm-hmm. you know yeah. is just the smallest screw that mm-hmm. that you need. Yep. And everything on up. And it just amazes me every time I get into a bind on a project I'm doing. I say I'm going to have to run to town and get one of these. And he says, No, we'll just, we'll go just ahead make and one. Make one. And I'm going. Yep. How do you do that? Because this is- <laughs> I love, the, I love the equipment, yeah. but Yeah. and I love to watch somebody work on it, but it's one of those things that I don't have the mental capacity, I guess, in order to
3: make it work the way it's supposed to. You set the machine up, it'll do all the work for you. Yeah, that's what he said that's what, he said, is what I'm watching him turn this little yep. lever and exactly. that little lever and yep. raise the bed my, and change out the chucks And my dad can't figure out how I cut screw threads on this and it's I tell him it's all geared from the head right it's really simple it makes a lot of sense to me but and I've explained it to him a couple well, times. And he still doesn't quite catch it. But. I'm glad you got a dabbler. <laughs> yeah. But it's so. still—it's
1: just so fascinating yeah. to watch oh, yeah. this the, stuff work. Uh,
3: the lathe is an amazing piece of machinery. All—all all machine tools are really amazing because—and you think about it, right? This is what makes everything, right? right? Something like this, and it hasn't changed a lot, you know. There's, you're still spinning a part, or you're spinning the tool, and that's what the mill does, or the lathe does. and Whether it's done so, by computer, exactly, like whether CNC, it's a CNC or not, it's it's all very similar to how we're doing it. We're just doing it without the computer. We're using this computer, right? Our right. head. So exactly, and and all um, the little measuring devices. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, and you've got one hell of a big crane in here. Yep, it's a seven and a half ton crane, uh, and it's. From 1907, it was put in here when they oh, built really? the shop, yeah. And we still have to run it from the basket. Oh, so really? There's a whole set of levers up there in the basket, and that's how you run it. There's... And now
1: this has a rail going down both yep. sides of your shop. The shop's what, 30 foot wide? Yeah, something like Approximately. that. And, I can't remember. Yeah, and this, so. this lift spans from side to side and runs on a rail back and forth and has a uh big hook in the middle for picking up heavy machinery or i guess picking up parts to to yeah mostly picking
3: up locomotive parts because nothing's light oh i'm sure (laughs) the engine weighs 90 tons so there's a lot of heavy parts on them oh is that all yeah (laughs) dry (coughs) <coughs> you put 1,500 gallons of water in it, it's a lot more. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then another 10 so, ton of coal in the back. I yeah, exactly. 7,500 gallons of water in the tender, about 12 tons of coal in the tender, and then the boiler holds about 1,500 gallons. Wow. So, yeah. This is just too fascinating. Okay, well. Yep. So, which way you want to go? You want to go that way or this way?
1: Which way works best? Well, there's
3: a big this is your shop. You can tell us there's... about <laughs> Well, I'll show you the wheel lathe because okay, that's probably the most the interesting lathe. thing. So, um, this wheel lathe they bought used in the '50s from the Norfolk and Western, actually out of Roanoke, um, and they brought it in here and set it all up, and it's been here ever since. So, okay, the wheel lathe. I'm
1: assuming is to turn yes wheels for the locomotive.
3: Well, and the cars. And the so, cars. Yeah, okay. this one's more for cars. You can do diesel axles in it too. Um, oh, man. Wow. But, yeah, so how do you go around a corner if the wheels are mounted solidly to the axle? Long sloping corners. Yes, but what else? I don't know. The treads are tapered outward, right? Okay. And it's kind of hard to see on these because these are worn, but these treads are tapered like this, okay? Okay. So they slope out towards the end of the axles. And that's what keeps it
1: kind of in the track, too.
3: Yeah, it keeps it track and center, but when you go around a curve, it pulls the bigger diameter to the outside, and the smaller diameter runs on the inside rail. Okay. And so you can go around a curve without binding, without pinching, without slipping. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And and we're looking at a lathe that if you guys ever look underneath a a
1: rail car, (laughs) you'll see that the width of the wheel and the height of the wheel is pretty good size and this lathe
3: is
0: is, is this one that we're uh, working on right now is this the
3: wheel that we're making or um, I probably won't turn this one we just put it in here for display more than anything I can still turn wheels on this I'm just probably not going to turn this one it's cast iron and cast iron work hardens and it gets harder than hell
0: is this one we made here
3: no, it I could have been. I, 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 they probably did the press work here because we have a press over there to do the press work. Um, so it was probably pressed on here. I don't know if they turned them, though, once they pressed them on or not. So. But
1: this lathe is holding the whole axle and the wheels that you would
3: see underneath a right. box
1: car of some sort yep. or another. Any
3: any freight car, any passenger car, any freight car.
1: And this thing is so. huge. Yeah, it is a
3: monstrous it's, piece of It's machine. big enough to hold the wheel, and the wheel's pretty damn big. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. you the to be able to...
3: That's right, exactly. And is it
1: hard to center, or does it kind of...
3: No, actually, it's kind of self-centering. So there's clamps that actually go around the bearing surfaces, which are on the ends of the axles, and you can kind of see them right here right. if you look in here. Okay. And then those clamps actually have a small taper on them. And there's a taper on each end of the head, in each head. So you just run the heads in, and it takes up that taper, and they're centered. Okay. There's no indicating or anything. <laughs> and so, okay. And let
1: go ahead and resurface and, and yep. grind the surface down to you where... You cut them.
3: They've got tools here. See this right. radius tool? Okay. This is a pre-cut tool to make this shape, right? To make this act, to make this flange, to cut this tread. Okay. So you got another one right here.
1: And so those are already preset so that everything is, is exactly. all uniform.
3: Yeah, exactly. Wow. There should be some over here, too. Yeah, there's some more land right here. Okay. Cool. Big old cutters, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Those are amazing. Yeah. And that's just for doing the flange. The, the whole form tool right here is for doing a flange in part of the tread. Right okay. there.
1: Yeah, I never had given it much thought that, that you don't have like a limited slip differential. There's no differential. <laughs> it's, just, it's just solid. Yep. All exactly. The way but like some, you know, most of the, the corners and stuff it seems on rails. So. Yeah, they're not real
3: tight, but it also but you still if you were just flat it wouldn't work very well. So right. we got really big drill bits. Oh yes you do. Holy smokes, what is that? A two inch? Two and nine sixteenths. Two and <laughs> nine, two and a half inch. Yeah.
0: That's wow. the biggest bit
3: we have, two and nine sixteen. And I we got a pretty good set. And then reamers and I mean we got mass. Whereas there's some big reamers right there. Oh wow, those got to be like three inch. Yeah, I think so. Maybe a little bigger. And they're, those are for your milling machine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, or doing you know you can you can work with them separately on the frames if you really have to. Um, yeah, we have a good selection of tools. Big air compressor. That's a uh, big air compressor. Yeah. So. Wow! Yeah, and that that's for the shop. That's that's providing air for the engine house, the machine shop, all of it. So okay. we have air, and then this is our wheel press. It's kind of buried, but it still works.
1: And, and what is the wheel press? And, the wheel well, so the wheels of the exactly,
3: they're pressed on and off the axle, right? So you can sling the axle into that dead man right there, and then the the cylinders right here okay and so the cylinders you know what is that and is that hydraulic yeah yeah that's, so that's old inches. yeah and old so it
1: hydrology. just so those wheels are
3: just pressed onto the mm-hmm. axle yeah it's a 300 ton press though so they got Ooh. pretty good interference fit <laughs> and how do you get it off you, same you way just press it off Yep. pressed on pressed off so and wow. so you know it's got its own motor to drive the pump this was probably belt driven at one time though okay so there's a good good chance of that so wow um, and then this flat car here is full of parts for the other locomotive we're working on which is the 40 and it's out on the other side so yeah, okay it's a big kit <laughs> yeah it, it was running two years ago so wow. well it's, it's not running it's, now all the parts are here no, on this box it's, car it's down for its uh uh, uh um 15 year inspection so and this is another uh, steam yep yeah. Okay. Yeah. How many steam engines do you have here? We have four, three of which are, well, two of which are serviceable, and then 40 is down for its 15-year. So. Okay. And then the fourth one is in pieces, too. Um, we didn't take it apart. Someone else did, and then we got it. Oh. Did <laughs> they map it out for you, or did you just a have little a bit? <laughs> large puzzle. Large puzzle. puzzle. It is a large so, puzzle, and I'm sure it's
1: it's <coughs> a thousand the,
3: the good thing is we've had a lot of practice with the other ones, so it shouldn't be too hard to figure out. <laughs> But, and what is this machine here that's the wheel boring machine so it's it's just a big boring mill um but it's very purpose built it only goes vertically there's no horizontal movement in it at all okay most boring mills you can move this way side uh-huh. to side and up and down this is just up and down and it's got a little crane on there for taking the wheels in and out and all that so
1: and how much does one of those wheels weigh
3: you know i'm not sure at least a ton <laughs> i don't want to go pick one up <laughs> i'll bet you don't <laughs> so that's just yeah that's a big chunk of iron oh yeah there's a lot of material there and you said those are cast those are steel the ones in the wheel they are cast iron okay these are cast steel so. okay they don't make cast iron ones anymore they have made cast iron ones for who knows how long it's been a long time um, so
1: okay yeah and over here on your on your uh, train that you're in the process of putting together and remodeling you've got a blackboard hanging there yep and I'm sure that has your daily list of things
3: that need done yep exactly so right now we're installing a new injector on it for putting water in the boiler and that's what these guys are working on got a couple other little things to check on we're going to run it a uh, week from saturday so oh really yeah january 15th it'll be out well i was going to so. say
1: it looks like your list is rather small but i think yeah. on, on a project like that keeping a small list is probably a better idea it never ends <laughs> they're never done everybody
3: asks me when's it going to be done and I says, it's never done there's always something to do on it right they're, they're never completely finished right um, so wow yeah I
1: just the, the the immensity of that is just amazing
3: mm-hmm yeah it's a good size engine it's not real big not real small but it's a good size engine (laughs) so so do you get to drive them or ride in them yeah i i'm cross trained to pretty much do just about anything i fire i run all that good stuff so really yeah that's got to be kind of kind of an interesting job oh yeah it's a lot of fun a lot of fun not everybody gets to have a job like that nope so yeah we're pretty lucky here because the shop guys don't just have to stay in the shop we get to actually go out and run the engines every now and then too so really yeah it's just awesome yep. well exactly yeah. so yeah let me go through here
1: it, the thing that's amazing here is everything is so large yes all of your wrenches are huge mm-hmm. yeah uh and here. then you've got a pit here so that you
3: can work underneath yep exactly you gotta got, be up you gotta be able to get underneath room. them <laughs> oh someone rolled them. i was going to show you a really big crescent but i don't know where it's at it must be out somewhere that's oh, all right it's about this tall wow <laughs> so i don't know where it got set down at that's okay. well just you got I'll one I keep inch, my eyes out for it there, yeah well and then did you see the wrenches well, yeah that's up? what i yeah. was looking at on the way you just use a hammer on those just
1: <laughs> it's just, they're huge yeah oh so oh, this is just walked through a room and we're <coughs> standing in an engine room That oh
3: yeah this is the Holy engine God. house so also built in 1907 the whole building was pretty much built at the same time they added a little bit on the back in the old uh later down the road but yeah this was built for servicing and maintaining and warming up and working on steam locomotives that's why it's got all these smoke jacks up top so it's uh-huh. just a way to vent the exhaust oh so they parked underneath <laughs> yeah. the and we still the do it that, smoke, that way so this
1: these uh, smoke vents look like what you'd have over the top of your uh stove yep and they park the trains underneath it and fire them up and that way there it was able to vent mm-hmm. and not be all coal smoked in here yep. wow you've got what 10 trains in here
3: uh, it could be. I've never counted actually.
1: Well, you got five trains on this side and <laughs> yeah. you've got another side that's about the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, about 10.
3: So. So, and then you've got a bunch of the coal cars and Yeah. So, this is 93's tender, which is right here and we've been working on it a little bit. And then 40's tender is behind it and 40's right here. And 40's in pieces. Right. 40 was built in 1910 by Baldwin, bought new for the railroad, never left. 93 was built in 1909 by the American Locomotive Company, bought new Never really left. Um, they took it to the Olympics in 2002 over in Salt Lake City. Oh, really? Yeah. They needed another engine, and so they borrowed ours. <laughs> oh, did they uh, haul it on tracks, or did no, they put they it, on, took a it truck? on a truck? They trucked it over. Really? Yeah.
1: That's got to be amazing to see one of these yeah. things on the back of a truck. This came in in uh,
3: November, I believe, by truck. So,
1: really? Yeah. And this it's a is. Diesel?
3: Yeah. It's 201. It was built by um, the American Locomotive Company, <laughs> the same company that built 93, and uh, it. All this railroad was owned by Kennecott at one point in time. Right, And so Kennecott had a property in Utah. Well, when they shut the mine down in 78, they took almost all the engines over to Utah. And 201 was one of those engines. They took it to Utah. um, And then in about sometime in the 80s, they weren't using it anymore. And there was a museum up in Washington that was looking for stuff. And they donated this to them. Well, they stopped using it in the mid two thousands, so we just got it back. <laughs> wow. So it was originally here left and then we got yeah, it was kind of a long way around, but we
1: got it back. So So you do all the stuff on the diesel yep. engines also. Oh yeah. So you're 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 pretty uh multiply I do a little intelligent.
3: Bit of, uh, <laughs> I wear many hats, but I can't find a many hat. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, so, yeah, we do a, a lot, lot, we do a lot of different things. We do a lot, little bit of everything.
1: You've got a so. couple other diesel. Yep. And your, yeah. Now, do you have a roundhouse out here? That uh, This is
3: the roundhouse. This is the roundhouse. Yeah. The railroad never had a turntable. Um, when they came to town in 1907, they had all the land they could ever want, so they didn't need to build a roundhouse because they weren't tight on space. So they just Which built means, tracks with a lot of exactly. uh, changes. Yeah, they built switches and stuff switches, like that, and then they built the what I'm they they for. built what they call a Y, which is like a three point turn, basically. Okay. Um, they built the Y. It's in the yard down on that end, but they didn't. They had all the room they needed. Turntables take a lot of maintenance. Right. Laying track doesn't take that much maintenance once you've got it down, and the track crew can do it. You don't need anybody special to fix it. So, they just did that instead. So this is, in all reality, our roundhouse, even though it's not round. Okay. So we just call it the engine house. <laughs> I got it yeah it's just it's amazing when when you see one building
1: mm-hmm. with I mean this building's huge. yeah it's yeah, they would probably what Three hundred, four hundred feet long. I'll bet it's yeah. I'll bet it's close to a football field yeah and uh, it's it's extremely wide mm-hmm. and it's got one, it's got two, six tracks. Two, it's got six tracks on yeah. it. So you could have so twelve hot engines. Out, in yeah, so you, you got to figure out how to, to get uh, these mm-hmm. engines off of a single track and, mm-hmm. and into these six different tracks.
3: Yep. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of switches outside the uh, out through those doors there.
1: And several of them have
3: pits for you to yeah. get down underneath. Pretty much all easy. of them do, except do for them? the first one over there. Okay. So pretty much every track has a pit, so you can do inspections, maintenance on the engines. Because if it's something light, there's no reason to bring it in the shop and do the work if you can do it out here. Right. And we do that on a pretty regular basis. Um, and, the, and the pits keep you from having to try and figure out how yep, to crawl underneath. Exactly. Make it a little way. more comfortable. Right. <laughs> They're usually dirty, but that's okay. <laughs> well, and you've got another caboose
1: in here, it looks like.
3: Yeah, that one's uh, on the list, so just way down. <laughs> well, yeah, it's parked behind several others. Yeah.
1: Well, do you so. have a way to move, like, these coal cars and stuff in here without... Uh, Without an engine? or No,
3: we just move with the engine. This is hooked on to what they call a rotary snowplow.
1: Oh, we're supposed to see that. Sean was uh, saying, <laughs> don't miss the rotary snowplow. <clears throat> yeah, he was saying that he was talking to an old gentleman that uh, got it stuck.
3: I believe it. Yeah, So, it's possible. So Yeah, this was built in 1907, new for the railroad, never left really. Um, there's some stories of it working up north, but we've never found anything to back that up. Well, go At talk least nothing nothing that I know of. Go talk so. to Sean about the
1: rotary snowplow. He was saying so. that uh, that they got this thing stuck, it went up and, and went right, off the yeah, tracks. It could be. And they had to heat up with the steam yeah, and, and melt it all down. Melt down side to side in order to get it to set back on the track right. Could be. And then they turned around and got it stuck again. <laughs> Such so. is life
3: with winter. Wow. So
1: Yeah, I think it's ten foot tall, has yeah. blades on the front. Uh, we'll have a picture of it on the Facebook page when we uh, publish this uh, podcast because this thing is just amazing.
3: And he said it throws snow 150 feet. Yeah, they'll throw quite a way. I don't know. I didn't know it was that far, but it could be. So, yeah, they throw it quite a ways. Wow! So. And look at that light up above.
1: Yeah. I thought I was going down the pit. I was
3: walking. Yeah. Down. Be careful
1: walking backwards. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> wow. This is. This is just
3: so awesome. Look at these machines back here. Yeah, so this was the old boiler shop at one point in time. Um, And then when they kind of stopped doing boiler work on the steam locomotives because they didn't really need to anymore, they turned it into more of a metalworking shop. Um, And now it's just kind of a catch-all for stuff. Um, But we got a big shear over there, and it still works. Uh, We got a tube cutter. So we got some tools back here. We got some parts back here. We have all our lubricants back here still. Um, turbos for the diesels that kind of stuff so and the, is this for yeah this is where the cat hangs out usually this dirt it's too cold right now
1: <laughs> so so you had a blacksmith shop also yeah it's back there was that all coal there. fired with uh, coke coke okay and you had all your uh oh why am i drawing a blank uh Put the coal the in. You heat it up. Oh, uh,
3: forges? Forges! Yeah. No, yeah. I, we mean, I go got four there.
1: of them at my house and I can't think of the <laughs> doggone word. Yeah, I hate that <clears> when, I, <throat> when I draw blanks like that. Anyway, yeah, they, they did a lot of uh, actual forge work into some of that. Oh too. yeah.
3: Yeah, they did a lot back here at one time. We have a big drop hammer and everything. Oh, do you? Uh, it's right there. There you oh, that's <laughs> awesome. holy smokes. Okay. And it was. It used to run on steam. Now it runs on air. So. And you also
1: you also must have done a lot of uh, casting here because I see all these casting blanks.
3: So the the um, patterns came out of McGill. So out at McGill they had a smelter for doing okay. the copper. Well, they also had a foundry out there. Okay. And the story is that. One of the guys that worked out there in 83, when they shut down, they said, take them home and burn them. Well, he took them home and put them in his root cellar and they sat there for about 30 years. And then he called us up and said, hey, do you guys want all these? And we're like, sure, we'll take them. Oh, heck yeah. So this is a good place to display them. Um,
1: And what we're looking at when I say uh, casting uh, patterns, we've got different uh, wheels or different gears that are made out of wood. And then they would set that wood inside of a sand yeah. Uh, green sand green which sand. isn't green <laughs> right, but it's kind of it's kind yeah. of wet kind That's of, why they kind call of it sticky green sand is because it's wet yeah and then and then they take the the pattern of it they lift the sand off because it's in a, a wood block they lift the sand off and it has an exact replica of what the wood pattern was mm-hmm. they put that sand block back together put several vents in it and then put the hot iron into it and it creates out of iron what it, the wood pattern looked yep. like. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a neat process, yeah. and and you've got gears, you've got wheels, you've got all kinds of cool stuff in mm-hmm. here. This is just amazing. Little Even some everything. tapered gears. Yeah.
3: Wow. Bevel gears. So you've yeah. got a
1: couple of anvils in here. I'm guessing these are thousand or better pound anvils. They could be.
3: I've never tried to pick huge. one up. <laughs>
1: Wow! And this trip hammer, this trip hammer is just this thing's got a the, the hammer part on it is what probably 18 inches by 12 inches.
3: Yeah, something like that. And it's it's
1: 15 foot tall.
3: Yeah. Wow! Wouldn't want to get anything anywhere near It's crushing that. Ooh. Oh, it's so, and yeah, we got all the tooling still. You can see all the tools yeah, there and the, all, all these all these hanging up on the wall to make different forms different. Shapes and stuff like that. Right. So All the hardy tools? Yeah. Wow. See, I could remember the
1: name hardy tool, but I couldn't remember the name (laughs) forge.
0: (laughs) Wow, this is just
1: fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. These forges are huge, too. Yeah. That one forge is, what, probably six foot in diameter? Yeah. It had to... It had to be warm in here. I oh yeah. that's why you can have all the yeah. glass.
3: Yeah, exactly. This Open the windows up. All the it.
1: It's like those old buildings you see that were manufacturing shops that mm-hmm. had all the 12 by 12 or, or
3: 14 by 14 windows going down the whole side. Trying to take advantage of the sun. Yeah, well... That's right. how it was in the light. old days. Yeah, a lot of light, lot you know, light. natural heat.
1: It's not so. much for insulation. No, when not at all. When <laughs> you're running this heavy... Uh, yeah uh forges and mm-hmm. and all
3: of that kind of stuff i'll bet it was still really toasty in here oh yeah in the winter. yep definitely well nate the whole building was steam heated at one time oh was it um, it isn't anymore but at one right. time it was so yeah and, what, and they were using coke for the steam also no or? they were coal and then they were using oil later on the oh, boilers right. are in here are through they through this <coughs> door yeah
1: yeah steam's a pretty amazing thing
3: oh yeah definitely
1: they say what there's a stick of dynamite in every teaspoon or something it of could water. be I don't know <laughs> I've never heard that one well they, but, they say that these boilers well I guess it's just like a pressure canner you know if mm-hmm. your pressure canner decides it's going to blow up yep. it, it wipes it makes the kitchen yeah, <laughs> it does and, and you've got so. a whole lot more steam going on something yeah
3: like this. exactly So, so. Oh, alright go ahead you need them. What do you need? Okay. Wow. You got two big boilers in yeah. here
1: with piping going all over
3: the shop. Mm-hmm. And these were oil fired in the end. At one time though, those little doors on the other wall there, those uh-huh. were the coal bins. Okay. And uh, so I had someone back here stoking them all the time. Wow. wow. So.
1: This is just totally amazing. Mm-hmm. I am so glad I came to Ely. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily on our list. But, uh, <laughs> this has been just absolutely fascinating.
3: So yeah, we got this truck all torn apart.
1: When so. he says truck all torn apart, he's talking about the, the wheels and the frame and the, all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Right? Spring rigging
3: and all that for underneath the caboose. Right underneath the caboose. So.
1: yeah they've got they got some, some small
3: jacks those are the small jacks those, i'll show those you are the, the small those jacks? are only 50 ton i got some oh. 100 tonners oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> there's
1: supported on, on 50 ton jacks.
3: yeah there's sh- uh air screw jacks okay. so there's an air motor that runs a screw up so you can leave them sitting without air on them and they're not going to go anywhere okay so wow yeah yeah, no hydraulics. It's a lot of mechanical stuff. <laughs> so. well, this, is,
1: it, this is really cool being able to come into an old an old mm-hmm. shop. Yep, you know? a working it's shop too modern. still.
3: It's, Watch your step on the yeah. pipe.
1: It's, it's not all modern. It's it's all old. Yeah. Oh, man. Big
3: old grinding stone. Big old grinder. Let's see the motor in the back there. Oh, yeah. And then all our old signage and stuff.
1: Now, when he says an old grindstone, you've all seen the... The grindstones that have uh, the little pedals on it for dirt? sharpening your yep, little that's knife. dirt this one here is probably six inches wide and about three, about foot, in three diameter. foot tall and it's it's run by electricity right yeah yeah it's got a little motor on the back side here wow just amazing
3: all of this stuff is just so so big yep And then our really big drill press.
0: Oh,
1: oh, (laughs) this is a really big drill press. Yeah. This drill press is, what, probably eight foot tall?
3: Yeah. They call them uh, radial arm drills. Radial arm drills. And you can, it's got a power feed, so you can power feed your bits through and all that. It'll just sit there and hog through just about anything you want it to.
1: Oh, I would imagine.
3: Yeah. And this is for your two and a half inch drill bits and anything you want
1: <laughs> and it's got a really deep uh reach too yeah you can go out you can come in
3: you can go up and down
1: so it looks like you could put a piece of metal in there and drill what probably six eight feet into into yeah the center depending of
3: it. on as long as you can reach down through as long as your hole's bigger than your uh shaft coming down
1: oh well i'm referring to the deck oh you know you can about, take yeah. a piece of
3: sheet metal yeah, yeah i get what you're saying and, yeah, you have... yeah you could yeah you could Wow. yeah from this from the center post out right yeah So yeah it's a good old machine runs good so.
1: i've never seen a drill press like that i've never <laughs> seen a hammer, <laughs> a, hammer uh, a trip hammer like that one back yeah. there either this is just
3: totally phenomenal yep. well, so our, uh, our big lucas mill right there that's a milling machine laid on its side though oh okay it's it's supposed to be laid on its side the horizontal yeah mill. horizontal mill I was doing light work with it this morning. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Five eighths uh, mill, one pass. Wow. Just kept cutting. So. And it's got
1: a bed on it that is what? Probably an eight foot foot bed,
3: yeah, something like that. So. And I can take the knee off of there if I want to just do something big on the table. Um, So. Yeah, it's a good machine. Good machine. Wow.
1: Well, thank you, John, for taking us through this. This is just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And uh, I so appreciate it. I guess we're going to go take a walk and see what else we can see. Have at it. You can go anywhere out in the yard. Just watch where you're walking. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Again, appreciate it so much. No problem. You know, as I always finish these things out, the world is full of wonder. And sometimes it's fun to see it from somebody else's perspective. Everybody needs to get out, see things, enjoy it, and have an absolutely wonder-filled day.
0: All the and go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?